right. Good morning, everybody. How you doing? I want you to uh, actually remember that song here in a second because uh, we're going to refer back to that. Just that I want you to remember what that feels like to be in a room where everybody is singing like that. It's pretty amazing. So thank you, guys. I guess we've uh, auctioned off my flip chart, so uh, we're going to do this instead. Uh, Hey, uh, my name's Jim. If you're new, uh, super welcome to you. We're glad that you're here. And uh, we, we got no time to lose. We're going to dive right in. Uh, man, I got to tell you, this has been kicking my butt this week. <laughs> so, like, this idea of uh, looking at this book of Revelation, um, if you're new to the Bible, it's the last book of the Bible. And um, I told Bill this week, like, I, I mean, I probably spent three times as much amount of time as I normally do on a talk, which means I probably spent about 30 minutes on this talk, you know. So, um, <laughs> I spend more than 10 minutes on my talks. Come on. Some of you are like, that sounds about right, for what I've heard from you. Um, so, so, we, so we're going to get after this, but I want to I ask you a question first. Um, when you think of the, you hear that, just Revelation, book of Revelation, what, what comes to mind? What do you, you know, is it like end of the world stuff? Is it something that you've, you know, read, a book series, uh, uh, a movie that you've seen? Uh, is it maybe, maybe you've read it and you think, gosh, that's, it's kind of weird. Um, maybe you haven't read it, you know, and so you're like, well, I have no clue. I, I'm like beginning from ground zero. All those, all those totally get it. Um, I think there's actually two kind of normal responses to this book that, that we see a lot. And um, one of the responses to the book of Revelation, it's this last book of the Bible, one of the responses is people avoid it. And in a second, you'll see why, and I, you'll see maybe why I wish we had avoided it, because it's, like, it's just a challenge. Um, so there's avoidance. Is I'd say the majority of people just try to avoid the book of Revelation. Uh, and then the other response that people can have is obsession. Like, we got to figure this out. You know, it's this big puzzle, and i got to figure it out. And you're, you're trying to figure out exactly when the world is going to end, on what date, and... Uh, you know, because what the, Re- the book of Revelation does is it's actually pointing toward the future. It's, it's pointing toward the winding down of human history, and it's trying to give us an idea of what are the things to come. And I think that's why some of us are kind of fascinated by it, right? We're fascinated because there's a glimpse into the future of humanity and the end of the world. And that's interesting stuff and the subject of a lot of movies and everything else. Here, here's why we want to look at it, though, as a group. We're looking at it for two big reasons. The first one is I, I'm kind of wired such that, yeah, there's stuff in my past that I don't, I'm not proud of and I don't like. Well, there's stuff now about me that I'm not proud of and don't like. But I think the thing that maybe gives me the most anxiety on a day-to-day basis is the future. Past, present, yeah, those are issues. But the thing that, I, that keeps me awake at night is what's going to happen out there. And the book of Revelation speaks to that. And so it's, it's, it's worthy of us taking a look at. The second reason is, if, if you've read the Bible before, or maybe you know, you've been around church a little bit, you've, you've seen a, an image of Jesus that we get from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are called the Gospels. Amazing picture of Jesus. Wonderful picture of Jesus. We love Jesus. We love the Jesus that we see in there. 
the book of Revelation is going to give you an insight into Jesus that you don't get unless you read it. In fact, I think if you don't read Revelation or try to understand it some, we actually can have a bit of a shallow, incomplete view of Jesus. Where do you see the Jesus that's waiting for you in the book of Revelation? If for nothing else, guys, it's worth reading just for that. So what, here's what we're going to do. We are uh, today, I, I'm not assuming anybody in here has ever read this before. So and maybe, I don't know, 10% of you have, 50%, of you, I have no clue. I want to give you kind of an overview of what is in this book, because what we'll do then, starting next week, we're going to dive into different parts more in depth and look at it in detail and really draw out what this book's trying to tell us. And guys, it's not just about the future, it's about now, it's about who we are. And so this is, this is why we think it's important for us to look at it. So I'm going to give you an overview. I've got my friend, the um, little whiteboard here. Because what I want to do is I want to actually uh, use my incredible artistic skill that you've seen. And I'll, I want to draw out for you. I'm going to draw for you the overview of this book. Uh, and that, that way, we're going to all start at the same spot so that we all get a sense of what this book's about. And then next week, we're going to just start diving in and hitting this book and seeing what gets drawn out of it. Okay. Y'all in for that? Okay. Why did I do this? Why did I do this? Why did I do this? Okay, let's start. Um, so, the book of Revelation is written by John. John is the same John, we think, that was one of Jesus' followers. He was like 16 years old when he was following Jesus. He wrote the gospel, John. He wrote a couple other things in John, and now he's an old man. And the best of our knowledge, and part of it is he tells us this in the first chapter, the best of our knowledge, this guy, this old man John, actually gets thrown onto a little island called Patmos. So that's why we did this little, you know, in-game uh, logo for the series. He's kind of thrown onto this little spot. We think it was a mining, like, colony where uh, prisoners in the, Roman or in the Roman era would be sent to. And he's talked enough about Jesus and that Jesus was God that the emperor, a guy named Domitian, didn't take kindly to it because Domitian thinks he's God. And so don't talk about this other God when I want people worshiping me. And so he takes John, old man John, and he throws him onto this island. And John has a vision. He gets to this island, and God gives him a vision. And as crazy as some of the stuff in this book sounds to us, we really believe that this is an inspired God-given word that even, actually, it's so cool. It's the only book of the Bible that says in verse 3, uh, chapter 1, verse 3, it says that you will have a special blessing given to you if you try to understand these words. No other book of the Bible says that. So we're entering in together in something going, okay, Lord, would you give us a special blessing as we try to understand this together? All right, here's how it goes. So at the very beginning here, it says, uh, John says, it was the Lord's day, and I was worshiping in the Spirit. He's on this island, and he's worshiping God. Suddenly, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. It said, write in a book everything you see. Send it to the seven churches in these cities that I'm not going to pronounce because I don't want to embarrass myself. When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands. Now, what's that? The, um, 
a lampstand in those old days, don't think about your little lampstand at home that's got the light bulb in it. A lampstand kind of looked like this back then. It's a really cool thing. Gosh, that's so good. And um, there was like this little thing on top that held the oil. And you'd, you'd put oil in there and you'd light it and it would give light to everything. A lampstand, I guess what? That's what a lampstand does. It gives light. So he turns and he sees seven gold lampstands, right? Guys, by the way, there's going to be tons of imagery thrown out, symbolism, all kinds of stuff. You know, it's fun to try to figure out what it is, but we're looking for the kind of big meanings, the big themes behind all this. And standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. Now, hold on a second, because I forgot to draw the other lampstands. That one's really good. We're just going to throw some other lampstands here. That, uh, let me count these for me. How many is that? Four, six, thank you. Seven. Okay. So he sees seven gold lampstands, and then somebody's standing in the middle of the gold stands, someone like the Son of Man. If you've, if you've seen the Gospels before, you've seen Jesus' words, he, that's a phrase he used for himself. Jesus would refer to himself all the time as the Son of Man. It's even a term that you see in the Old Testament in Daniel that's kind of like the revelation of the Old Testament that kind of looks forward. You see that phrase, Son of Man. So now we're seeing all that getting woven together here, the Son of Man. So now, okay, light bulb should go on. Jesus is here. Jesus is here in the middle of the lampstands. Jesus is here, son of man, right here. He was wearing, now, now check this description with your image of Jesus. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as the snow. Take a look at the peaks out here. Think of that white that you see on those peaks. This is, this is the look he has. And his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. You, you know that? Stop and think. You've been to the ocean. You've heard that crash. His voice sounds like it, John said it's just indescribable. I'm telling you, I, I see this guy and it's, it's, I can't even describe to you what it's like. He held seven stars in his right hand. And a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth. What's up with a sword out of Jesus' mouth? His face was like the sun in all its brilliance. This is, a, this is the beginning of this vision. Well, we find out in these first chapters that these lampstands are actually the churches. That the church is actually called to bring light to the world around it. And one of the beautiful things that you see in this first chapter is Jesus is standing where? in the middle of the lampstands. Sometimes maybe we might think of Jesus as standing over here. You know, he's up in heaven doing his thing. And, and, and maybe he kind of lobs us something every once in a while to think about. But what the image we get in Revelation is, is that Jesus is actually standing in the middle of the churches. It's so cool because, I, you know, Sometimes you can think of God, and he's going to actually, in these first few chapters, he's got some kind of critical things to say about this. And guys, next week, we're going to dive into that more. And that's, I hope you're here for that. But we're going, to, we're going to get into what that looks like. But Jesus is in the midst of it, not up in heaven lobbing grenades at us. He's in the middle of it. He's, he's a part of it. And I think, I, you know what I thought of when I thought of this? I just thought, 
man, Jesus is in the middle of this church. Jesus is in the middle of the churches in this community. I think a church is like Boulder Valley and Calvary and Cornerstone and The Well and Flatirons and all these just fantastic churches. And, and Jesus isn't removed from them. He's in the middle of them. And he's got some things to say. And so the question is, are we actually willing? I wasn't planning on writing this upside down like that, but oh well. Are we actually willing to listen? I hope you'll be here next week. We're, we're going to get into what does it mean to listen. But that's the first image that John gets. It's a picture, the seven lampstands, write these things, send it to them, and Jesus is in the middle of it. Now, check out chapter 4. This gets cool too. I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones, like jasper and carnelian, and the glow of an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. So you get this really cool big throne in heaven, right? And it's like got just brilliance about it. 24 thrones surrounded him, and 24 elders sat on them. So so it's not just one throne. You, You got all these other thrones that are sitting here too, and they're all kind of surrounding the main throne, right? So you get, let's say, 12 over here, and then there's another 12 thrones over here. And people kind of debate, again, the symbolism of this. Is this the 12 tribes of the Old Testament plus the 12 disciples who followed Jesus? And that's the 24 that we're seeing, you know, just go with it. So there's, there's 24 thrones and 24 elders, and they were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder, and in front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames. This is the sevenfold Spirit of God. In front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass, sparkling like crystal. Can you picture this? Again, John's saying, I just can't even describe to you what I saw. Um, Some of you guys are old enough to remember the show Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. You know that? Remember how they they take you into somebody's house? It was like you get to see the sweet pad of some really famous person, and you're just like blown away by how many swimming pools they have, and you know all that stuff. My my kids tell me that these days there's a show that you can actually see DJ Khaled's shoe collection. So I don't know. I guess that's cool, but it's some kind of inside glimpse into somebody's famous life. This is what we're getting. He's getting this, like, lifestyles of the rich and famous. He's actually getting a glimpse into heaven. Can you believe that? And there's a sea of crystal in front of it. And to me, there's just no doubt that in that sea of crystal, there's a trout. (laughs) And I'm catching that thing when I get there. (laughs) Becky's going to be super happy because the next part... It's like music is like going on, like people are singing and there's actually one part in there that says, it just struck me. It said, they heard the voice of millions of angels. You remember when we were sitting here and I asked you to remember what it felt like as Becky's singing that Revelation song? What a room feels like when everyone is actually worshiping, just praying to God, singing. It's, it's an incredible feeling. Imagine that times a million. So John's getting this, this image going. It's, it's, so he's got, he's got his view of the churches. It's beautiful. It starts with the church. 
it moves to this image of heaven, and now it's going to take a turn that you're not expecting. Here's what we do in chapter 5. It says, Then I saw a scroll on the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne. A scroll. There was written on the inside and the outside of the writing on the inside and the outside of the scroll, and it was sealed with seven seals. Let me, let me break this down for you just a second. What, what's this, what are we talking about? There's a scroll. Let's, you know, here's a scroll right here, 3D even. And um, the way these scrolls would work back then is if somebody had a really important message, a secret, really important message, they would write it on a scroll, and then they would take string, and they would wrap it around the exterior of the scroll, and then the little you know, pieces of the string would come off the end. Now, here's what they would do to make sure that nobody read it who wasn't supposed to read it, or that they would at least know if somebody read it who wasn't supposed to read it. They would put on there, they would seal these strings with wax, take hot wax, put it on there, and then somebody would take an image, usually a ring, and they would put it right into that wax, like put a little seal on those strings. That way, if anybody opens it, the the kind of rule was you don't get to open that unless you have a ring that matches that sign. If you've got got the sign on your ring that matches the seal on the scroll, then it was meant for you to open. Otherwise, you shouldn't be opening this. It's private. It's secret. So there's seven of these seals sitting on this scroll that the one on the throne is holding. And I saw a strong angel, looked a lot like me, who shouted with a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals on the scroll and open it? Who's got the ring? Who's who's got the, the secret? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. Imagine how disappointed John is. If you've just seen this, and then he holds out a scroll, and you're like, oh, I get to see what's on this thing. And then they kind of make this announcement, oh, nobody can do it. Here's what, here's what happens. John says, then I began to weep bitterly. I wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. But one of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. And you, know, you might know some of these, this idea of the lion, the tribe of Judah, these are more allusions to Jesus. And so you're going to see now Jesus steps forward. And Jesus starts to open the seven seals on the scrolls. Here's the part that kind of gets funky. I get, I get a little disappointed here because I'm like, oh, what's it going to be? going to be something, you know, super cool. When these seals open, you start to see unfolding something come out of it where there, it, it is clear that um, God is starting to put forth his judgment on the earth. You see things come out of these seals like earthquakes. You see things come out of these seals like, have you ever heard the four horsemen of the apocalypse? These horsemen that like hold in their hands death and disease and famine. And so you start to see seal after seal open. You're like, actually, can we reseal those? Because we don't like this. And in fact, it gets to the seventh seal and in the beginning of chapter 8, it says they open the, Jesus opens the seventh seal. And it says all of heaven was quiet 
for half an hour. Singing stops. The no more fly fishing going on. It's just quiet. People are like, you just get the sense of like, I cannot believe what just got open. The result of the seventh seal is actually seven trumpets. These seven trumpets come out and are handed to angels who begin to blow these trumpets. And guys, I'm telling you, it is like thing after thing that will just make you go, really? Again, lots of imagery, lots of symbolism. But what's clear is happening now is that God is starting to somehow put judgment forward. Do you hate this word as much as I do? When, when you hear that word, I'm so trained to be like, oh my gosh, I don't want to be judged. I don't want to be accused of being judgmental. It, it seems like the word judgment in our context is just has a lot of negative things attached to it. What's funny is, as I was looking at this, the Bible actually talks about judgment almost unanimously as a positive. Uh, Becky read that Psalm 96 earlier, and uh, the translation she read didn't, had, had one word omitted, I noticed, when she read it that was different than uh, the translation that uh, I'll use, and it includes the word. I don't know if you remember what she read, but it said, the the earth sings, the trees are in joy, the entire earth is like just bursting with joy. And most translations say, because of God's judgment. Guys, what's happening, you're you're seeing a move now toward God starting to say, I'm having enough. I am starting to wind down all of evil. Everything that is bad, everything is wrong, everything that has sprung out of sin in the world, I'm starting, the clock is now ticking. These seals, these horns, later you see seven bowls that are poured out. It's all about God winding down history with judgment. And I, again, I go back and I go, ooh, I don't like that. But then I started thinking this week, do I really want to live in a world without, like, judgment? Without God making some sort of judgment? Do I want to live in that world? Do I want to live in a world where high school kids have to walk into school and be terrified somebody's going to come in their school with a gun? Do I want to live in a world where ultimately cancer keeps on winning? Do I want to live in that world, or do I want to see God in the end make things right? I tell you, man, for some reason this week, light bulb just went, yeah. Now, I hope I'm not including that judgment because that would stink. But I do want God to wind it down. I want God to be that good. I want God to finally say, no more. No more of that. We're done with all that. Man, especially this week with all that's gone on. I'm just like, Lord, your judgment actually sounds good. I see why the trees are singing with joy because The right things are being restored. That's what's going on. Now, you've seen the word of the churches. 
You've seen a glimpse into heaven. You're getting the fact that God's saying, okay, it's time to start to wind things down. It really gets hot in chapter 12 and 13 uh, because, and this is the part that I think most of us and most people are kind of fascinated by, because what happens in, in chapters 12 and 13 is evil is going to make its final stand. Evil is not going without a fight, right? Sin in the world is not going to just lay down and see it go. And so in chapter 12, you see Satan identified as a dragon. <laughs> you ever seen the movie Scream? That's where I'm going with this. Okay. Come on, that's better than that. And if you weren't impressed there, I'm going to put a little tail on him. So, very good. So, oh. Um, <laughs> Satan is identified as a dragon. And in chapter 13, the dragon gives authority, presumably, to people. Now, some people will say, and get this, um, some people will say John was writing this in the late first century. He's writing his own context. He's got this awful guy, Domitian, who's the emperor, and so he's writing specifically about that. And maybe that's what John had in mind. Now, what most people would say, though, most scholars would say looking at this, is that the Lord is using this to help us understand what is to come in the future. And so what you see in chapter 13 is authority from this dragon given to two what they call beasts. We think people. Look, look what it says in, in Revelation 13. It says, Then I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. It had seven heads and ten horns with ten crowns on its horns. And written on each head were names that blaspheme God. To blaspheme is just to say unspeakably awful things about God. That's what that word means. This beast looked like a leopard, but it had the feet of a bear and the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave the beast his own power and throne and great authority. And so, the, and so this dragon gives authority to two people who basically, in this vision who basically control the earth with the idea of we are directing worship away. We're directing everyone away from the true God. We are directing them toward this false God. And, and that's where when you hear the term antichrist, and he, you know, the, the idea is that there would be two people given authority by the dragon to lead people away. And so you see this through chapter 13, and this is where people make all kinds of speculations about what this means, and there's a number used in it uh, that is assigned to the beast, a number 666. Maybe, maybe you heard that before. It's at the end of chapter 13. You guys, <laughs> I'm just going to beg you for a second. Please don't read all those novels um, on this stuff. I, I'm just telling you, even, even the book itself, it's... Um, the book itself is not, you'll notice I'm not writing in a, in a line. I'm not writing in a timeline. It's because the book jumps around. It's so hard to tell what is actually going on. Anyone who's giving you a timeline of how the world is going to unfurl, oh gosh, run away. You know that, right? 
Um, there was a guy who wrote a book uh, in 1988 called Why the World Will End in 1988. Um, and then in 1989, he wrote a revised version. Um, <laughs> can you believe that he sold millions of copies in 1988? And then he sold a ton of copies on the revised version? Oh, who buys the revised version? I, I just I can't get my mind around that. I, I mean, I saw somebody once with uh, the 666 number say, oh, you know what? Uh, former President Ronald Reagan, uh, his middle name was Wilson. And if you notice, Ronald Wilson Reagan, there's six letters in each of those names. 666, that was the Antichrist, Ronald Reagan. Oh, Lord, help me, okay? Please run for the hills, if someone tries to take you down a road where you go, oh, I got this figured out. Even Jesus himself in Mark, in, in the Gospel of Mark, he says when, when talking about his return, Jesus says, I don't even know when I'm coming back. So why in the world are we trying to figure it out? Just stop. We're looking for themes here. And the, the, the important theme here is, I think, what this whole scenario, kind of evil's last stand theme makes me think is, am I actually willing, ooh, this is a crazy question, am I willing to suffer? Am I willing, in a world where it becomes very, um, uh, you know, not even just, uh, you know, um, not popular, like, awful. If you read this chapter 13, it's an awful thing. The people who, who decide and say that they are with God are treated in just awful ways. And it just made me ask the question, am I willing to suffer? Because I am willing to suffer for my kids. I'm willing to suffer for my wife. I have a relationship with them, and I love them, and I would be willing to do that for them. But there are things in this world, obviously, that I'm not willing to suffer for. But if I love something or love someone, I am willing to suffer. And I wonder if that question is a big one to ask. Am I willing to suffer for my faith in Jesus? If, if I am, it means that I'm probably, it's not just a religion. It's not a ritual. It's something that I love and that I believe in and I have a relationship with Jesus. And so I'm willing to suffer for him. It's an important question to ask, I think, here. So evil makes its last stand. And then you guys... I am so glad of what happens next. In chapter 19, we see the return of the king. Look at this. Then I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. In the middle of all of this is the return of Jesus. I kind of picture that scene in the two towers when Gandalf comes like down that hill and just... You're getting this picture of Jesus just coming down, and Jesus just goes, I'm here to clean house. This, this is the end. <laughs> this is a, and you see Jesus over and over again in the Gospels predicting his return. You know, Jesus saying, I, I'm, I'm coming back. Yes, I'm going to die on a cross. I am going to rise again, but you will see me again. The question I've got for me, Jim Candy, is... 
And this is a question a lot of Jesus' parables. Am I ready? If, if Jesus, Jesus rides in here after evil's last stand, am I, am I ready? Am I, am I the kind of person that fits at home with the kingdom of God? Because what this is saying is a new kingdom is coming. Am I the kind of person that will be a great citizen in that kingdom? Man, only by God's grace. But I want to work toward that every day. Going, Lord, help me to be ready. That's the question we got to ask. Another theme of this book as we read. But Jesus comes in and he just cleans house. Now, can I show you, this is, oh, man, I, this next passage is the one that I think is in some ways the hardest in ways. For some reason, um, for some reason, Jesus allows Satan, uh, there's this moment where Jesus comes back and then it's, it says there's a thousand years that Jesus reigns. And then for some reason, Satan is allowed to get free. And inexplicably, after a thousand years, Satan is able to gather some people to him and make one last fight. And so this last fight goes down and you can predict who the winner is. And, uh, but then there's, there's some uh, really key passage in there that talks about the book of life. And it says at the end of time that people stand in front of Jesus and this book is open, the book of life, and the names are read. This is terrifying to me. There's a book, I think it's chapter 20. There's a book, and those who are following Christ are in this book, and those who are not are not. Now, here's a question for you. I hope every human being asks this question, because you should. The question is, if there is separation at the end, and it looks like it, when you read this, but not just this, you read the Gospels, you read Matthew 25, Jesus is very clear. There seems to be a separation between people after death. Some people spend time with God forever and others don't. You have to ask yourself, how in the world could a loving God actually send people to hell, send people away from God's presence forever? How is that possible? I hope you ask that. Come on, you have not taken your faith seriously unless you ask that question. Because what I understand about God seems to be so good, and yet at the end here, that, seems, that just seems off in some way. Why couldn't everyone just be with God? In fact, if you ever see churches that are called universalist churches, that's what they believe, is that there's no way that God would do that in the end. Here's my thing with that. <sighs> It seems so hard for me to wrap my mind around how if I have lived my life, if I have chosen with my life, that I actually don't want to be around Jesus. I actually do not stand for the things Jesus stands for. In fact, I live my life for something completely different. I live, maybe in some cases, you guys know this, for some people, I live for me. How could God be loving to a person like that if he forced him or her to be with God forever? Does that sound loving to you? Guys, I would push back and say, 
I don't know how God can be loving unless there is separation from God. It seems completely unloving to me if God were to force you to be with him forever when that is absolutely against your wishes. This is, this is the idea that you're seeing at the end here. It's terrifying in one respect. And on the other hand, I look at it and go, you know what? No one earns their way into this book. Every single one of us, man, if I, please, Lord, if I'm in this book, you know, my name will be there, and the only reason it will be there is because right next to it, there's going to be a big old cross. Not an asterisk, hopefully. A cross that I've given my life, I've trusted in Jesus enough that all the stuff, the dragon that lives inside of me has been chased away. And the only reason I'm in there is because there's a cross next to my name where I said, Lord, I'm, I'm trusting you because you died for me and you took all that away. That's what's going on there. And now the very end. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is the very end. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone, which is a travesty for us who like to catch fish. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. Jerusalem actually means city of peace. Did you know that? It's anything but that right now, we know. But in the end time, we're seeing something new happen. The new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. It's gone. All these things are gone forever. You get this image of an incredible city, and it comes down do you get that? It's not up in the clouds somewhere with harps and clouds. Eh. This is a new Jerusalem that descends. God is always about coming from far away. God always comes near, right? He, comes as Je- he becomes a person in Jesus Christ. So it makes complete sense that at the end you see the city come down. And every tear is wiped away. Holy cow, man. Do you, do you get the joy, the intimacy, the adventure, the comfort, all that comes with that? Guys, you ought to read, just read chapter 21 and 22 if nothing else. Unbelievable. And he can't even describe it in words that make sense to us because it's so inexplicable. Read those two chapters and you'll see. Guys, these next few weeks, we're going to take this story. I want you to think about this story, this outline. We're going to dive in piece by piece. We're going to look at some of the stuff that's confusing. We're going to look at the big themes. We're going to look at how this impacts our lives today. What I want you to do is I want you this week to take... Here's what I did. I... Um, I read chapters one through three, and I timed myself, and it took me like five minutes and something, 20-something seconds. You can read all 22 chapters of this book by next week if you even just spend five to eight minutes a day. If you don't have a Bible, I think we got some extras back there. Just grab one. 
but we want you to read this this next week so we can, we can dive into this together. It's going to be fun looking at this. But the biggest question, biggest question that Revelation asks is, have you given me your life? Have you said I'm in? Man, what a, there's no better time to do that than now. Say, God, yes, I want to get on the side of history. I want to get on the side of what's happening. I want to get on the side of the king returning. And you can do that just so simply even by just saying, Lord, I don't even know exactly what this means. I remember the first prayer I ever prayed was like, I have no idea what I'm doing, but all right. I think that was my prayer. All right. Have you done that? Have you said, God, I'm in. I want to be on your side. I want, to follow, I want to trust in you and the cross. So, guys, what, what we want to do is we want to end this time with a uh, time we call communion, which is just a moment for us to get to celebrate and remember uh, Jesus' death, his resurrection. The night before he died, he took bread and wine, and he said, eat this in remembrance of me. And he took wine, and he said, drink this as a sign of the new covenant, the new promise that I'm making with you. And so we're going we're gonna to remember that. And what I, what I want you to do is, in a second, I'll, we'll, we'll have you get up, and I'll explain to you what that's going to look like. But uh, we're going to have you come up, and uh, there'll be different stations around the room, and some people have some bread. I want you just to rip a little piece off, uh, dip it in the cup. But before you eat it, before you eat it, I want you to ask yourself one of these questions. Am I listening to what God's saying? Do I, do I believe in this incredible thing that God is in control? Uh, am I willing to suffer? Am I, when it comes to this idea of judgment, do I, what, do I, what do I believe about that, God? Is there something that strikes me wrong about that? Am I ready for your return? Do I want to see my name here? And is, do I find joy in the future? I want you to, maybe one of those questions, pick one out. And as you take that bread, I want you to sit and I want you to pray and think about it. If, if you've never done this before and you don't want to, you don't know what's going on, it's okay. No one's watching or taking attendance. Just stay seated if you want, think, pray, whatever you want to do. But otherwise, we'd love to have you get up and move to one of these stations and take this time with God. So there's an allergy-free station right back here in the back. God, thank you for this book. It's a tough one. But you got a lot to say to us through it, and we trust you with it. Uh, Lord, would you surprise us? with the things that you're going to speak to us about in this. God, we believe that this is the inspired word of God, the stuff that's in this book, that these are your words to us. And we would love to have that blessing that it refers to, that we actually will be blessed if we try to understand this. So help us these next few weeks as we do that in Jesus' name. Amen.